So today, I'm just going to talk to you for a few minutes about something that, that God's laid on my heart. And we may not go a long time, but I feel like this is what we're, we're supposed to talk about. It's what God's been laying on my heart. And, and as you all know, we've been talking about hope. And we've been talking about a lot about faith and hope the last couple weeks. And, and how hope is always tied to the future and hope can't live in the past. And, and as I was thinking and chewing on it and reading different Bible stories that could go along with the message... I started to realize that the miraculous and the ridiculous are always connected. Like any time God does a miracle or something miraculous or a big move of God, it's always ridiculous. It doesn't make sense how it happens or how it's going to work. And, and every single Bible story I started reading was starting in the Old Testament all the way up through Acts and read them all and you tell me if there's a story where there is miraculous where there wasn't something ridiculous like what about Noah that you know, he had to save, save mankind literally uh, what about when, when God came to him and gave him that call or that vision or dream or however you want to word it when God gave him his instructions his purpose for his life build a boat what's a boat well, it's something you're going to need because of the rain. What's rain? It's ridiculous. It's stupid. Like it, if God comes to you and, and said that, now, now we Christians and we've read it and we've heard the stories and we've read our Bible and we've heard people preach about it and teach about it. So stories like that, Noah's Ark, yeah, we paint our kids' bedroom with Noah's Ark. Like it's not, to us, it's, but think about being Noah. He didn't know what a boat was. He didn't know what rain was. He was old. He like he was probably tired and overwhelmed. He, I mean, he was an old fella, and God gave him a huge task that was ridiculous. And I just picked Noah to talk about, but pick any Bible story you want. Think about it for a minute. There was something ridiculous they had to do. See, a lot of times that's what faith looks like especially from the outside looking in, especially from a non-believer, from the world's standpoint, when God asks you to do something, it's probably going to seem ridiculous. Why in the world would you do that? Why would you think you can do that? Why would you think you're qualified to do that? That's ridiculous. I'm going to read you a couple scriptures. And... It's the start of a really familiar story to us all, so I'm not even going to read the whole story because we all know what happens. It's the story of David and Goliath. And we know that, that David was a young boy at this time, and, and he had been anointed to be king. But David came just out of obedience, and he went to feed his brothers. He went to bring his brothers some cheese pizza. All right, and his dad said, here, take your brothers some cheese pizza. They're, they're fighting and they're hungry. And so he went to the war and David shows up. But the part I want to read is 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to read you verse 32 and 33. And I want to talk about something in that for a minute. Oh, I guess I should say that uh, the Philistine was screaming and hollering and cursing God and all that. The giant that was placed in front of them. And uh, David said, why, why are we letting him talk like that? 
let me add him. I'll go kick his butt. And people heard what David was saying and went and told the king. So David got brought in, into King Saul. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Because of the giant. Don't have heart failure. You ever had heart failure? You know what the meaning of the word courage? is to be strengthened of heart. Oh, so if your heart fails... It's a lack of courage. David says, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able. That's ridiculous. You're a little kid. Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You can't do it. This is a joke. I've already read the scouting report. You can't win. Forget about it. Why? Saul tells him why he's not able. For thou art but a youth or a boy. You're just a little boy. You're a little kid. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, that's cute. But you don't know how the real world works. Oh, that's nice. You're so naive, but you're a little boy. And he, the giant Goliath, he is a man of war from his youth. But he's been a man. He's a man of war, and he's been since he was a little boy. So Saul, the leader, the authority, said, you can't do it. You're not good enough. You're a little boy. And he's a man. He's going to kick your butt. I know we talked a couple weeks ago about how life is about choices. And choices that you make determine a whole lot. And life's all about choices. Charles Swindoll says that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% our response. You can't control what happens. You know, you think about it, you can't pick your giant. You don't get to pick your giant. I mean, David... He wasn't expecting to fight a giant. And we know, again, because we know the story, like this is what launched David into fame and greatness and, and got him into Saul's house. And he married one of Saul, the king's daughters, because of this and all these benefits and all these things. And, and this is what did it for him. But that morning, David was just obeying his dad and taking cheese pizza to his brothers. He didn't choose the fight, he didn't choose the giant. But there it was, and you know what he did choose? He had to choose whether he would fight or run. So you don't choose the giant. You don't choose the addiction or the problem or the boss or the... You fill in the blank. 
of what your giant is. You don't choose it, but you do choose whether you're going to fight. You choose whether you will cower in fear or rise because of the strength, the greatness that God's placed inside of you. We don't always choose our fights. But there are moments we must choose to fight. We can't choose our storms. But we can choose what we focus on in the storm. Jesus tried to teach that to the disciples. We can choose what we trust in the middle of the storm, in the middle of hard circumstances. God, give me faith to trust what you say. We just sang about it. You don't choose your giant. In fact, it seems like it chooses you. But like David said, don't let your heart fail. Don't let it steal your courage. So I wrote down three things that if we want to live a a miraculous, overcoming life where we beat our giants, where we live this, we'll call it ridiculous life that God's called us to live, then there's three things we need to do. So we're just going to go through these things and, and we'll be done. The first one is you got to choose courage over worry and it's a choice and a lot of times we forget because our emotions are so strong and so powerful but but worry fear it's a choice so we're commanded Jesus said um, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 don't worry well that means you can choose it or not He didn't say there's nothing to worry about. Because he knew there was. We live in a world, there's there's gonna be things that we can worry about or things that we can be afraid of, but but we're called to bring it all to him and to release. We have to choose courage over worry. We have to choose courage over fear. It's a choice. It is an emotion. And you can choose to reject it. Did you know that? I know some of y'all didn't know that. You can reject an emotion. You can. And they're powerful and strong. And it's real hard, especially if you've never practiced or tried it. But when that emotion of anger wells up inside of you and you decide to punch Nathan in the face I don't I just threw him out there because he's on the end of the row I'm not saying that was (laughs) you can choose to a reject that emotion I'm not going to do that that may be good or bad I don't know how that's going to turn out for you because he's probably going to punch you back right but you can choose to reject that emotion if you felt that for whatever reason 
That's something we need to know. As Christians, as Jesus followers, we're supposed to look like Jesus. Well, guess what? Sometimes you're going to feel like doing things you don't need to do. As Paul said, all things are lawful because of grace and because of Jesus' blood on the cross. Everything's okay, and I can find forgiveness for anything. All things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. All things aren't good for me to do. All things are not profitable, one translation says. Yeah, it's okay. I can find forgiveness and grace, but it's not going to be profitable. It's not going to propel me toward my call and my purpose. There are certain things that I choose to do and not to do for that reason. So you can reject an emotion. You run it by the call that's on your life and and what God's telling you to do. You can reject worry. You can reject fear. Courage, another translation of the word courage is the ability to do something that frightens you. See, it doesn't take away fear to say somebody's got courage doesn't mean they don't ever feel the emotion of fear. In fact, if you don't feel the emotion of fear, it's not courage. Right? I'm not afraid to walk down the stairs. So if I go walk down the stairs, I don't need courage to walk down these stairs. Y'all aren't going to say, wow, he's courageous. He just walked down the stairs. That's ridiculous. So choose courage. That's what David did. You don't think David was scared? Yeah, he was scared. But he chose courage, not worry. He chose courage, not fear. You know, the number one fear in the U.S. is public speaking. If you go look it up, that's the number one fear. Number two is death. So the average person in the U.S. is more afraid of public speaking than they are of death. So if we have a funeral in here and I'm standing up here preaching, the average person in this room would rather be the one laying in the casket than me with the microphone. Think about that for a minute. (laughs) So we're going to face our fears. I'm going to come around with the mic to each of you and let you speak a little bit kidding we won't we don't have time for that (laughs) see growing up a pastor's kid I learned real quick that there are some dangerous things you do you can do in a church and that's one of them there's one thing you don't ever say I don't know why I've heard my dad say it a couple times when I was growing up and I thought why what is it you know what it is all hearts clear don't ask that (laughs) You'll be here for the next four hours. (laughs) Heart's clear. No, we're not going to pass around the microphone. We We don't have that much time. It's my turn to talk right now. But fear, I mean, fear is a funny thing. People are more afraid of speaking than than dying. So that's number one. You gotta choose courage over worry. 
And the miraculous and the ridiculous are always connected. We see it. We already talked about it. We see it all throughout the Bible. But you've got to do the ridiculous if you want to see the, the miraculous. God will tell you to do something. He'll give you a vision and a dream. And then he waits on you to take that step of obedience. That's faith. He waits on you to take a step before you see the miraculous. See, we want to see the miraculous. We want God to change our circumstances and make a way where there is no way. And then we walk through that way. Mm -mm. We got to do the ridiculous first. It looks ridiculous until it works. Then when it works, people will say, oh, it doesn't look so ridiculous now. God did tell him to do that. Right? Even how we are with Bible stories, like we look like, yeah, Noah did build the ark. Yeah, it doesn't look so ridiculous after it works. But in the moment, especially when it's first being born in you, the dream, the vision, the hope of what God's going to do in the future, at that moment, it looks ridiculous. Kind of like some babies when they get born. So it looks ridiculous until it grows up. Number two. Second thing you got to do. Choose faith over facts. Yeah, we want to be informed. We want to know the facts. I'm not saying that we just stick our head in the sand and we don't pay attention to what's going on in the world around us. That, that we don't know the facts. But... The facts can't control us. If they do, we'll never live the life of purpose. We'll never change the world. We'll never have great impact on the kingdom like we're supposed to if we're so caught up on the facts. Because honestly, the facts were Saul was right. It wasn't like Saul was lying. He was a boy. He was going to get slaughtered by David. I mean, he could get within seven feet of Saul and Saul could reach him with his sword. This, it was a joke. Like, it wasn't that Saul was this bad man lying. No, Saul was telling the truth. You're a little boy. He's a grown man. Do not go pick a fight with him. It was truth. I think sometimes we forget that. We think, oh yeah, he was trying to hold him back from God sent him to kill the giant. No, I mean, he was telling him the truth. Saul was right. He was just a doubter. He was a hater. What I have found is that doubters or the facts, usually labeled as wisdom, right? Saul was giving him a little wisdom. Yeah, I know you're fired up right now, but you're a kid. He's a man. You're going to die. It's wisdom. Thank you for the wisdom, sir. I'm sorry I opened my mouth. Would you want a piece of cheese pizza? I'm going back home now. That's, I mean, wisdom labeled that kind of wisdom or the facts Stop more people than giants ever do. 
See, faith is not moved by what I see. My faith, my belief, my trust can't be moved by what I see. No matter what comes at me, no matter what giant rears its ugly head, no matter what facts come my way, it can't change what I believe. It can't change my faith. Faith's not moved by what I see. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. This walk that we're on, this journey, this, this walk of obedience, this slow and steady walk in the same direction of obedience, we're walking by faith. Not by sight. Right? We're not walking by the things that we can see. and To be God's people and to be what we're called to be and to live this ridiculous faith, hope-filled life, no matter what's going on around us, you can't walk by sight. It's not going to work. For we walk by faith. Not by sight. There will always be an excuse and a justification to run away. Always. The bigger the giant, the more excuses, and the easier it is for you to justify running. Nobody will even blame you. It'll be labeled as a smart decision. But you know. That measure of faith, you remember every man has dealt a measure of faith, the measure of faith that God dealt to you to do the things that he's called you to do inside of you. You'll know. Even when somebody else says, hey, you made the right decision there, it irks you. You think, no, I didn't. Because I cowered in fear when I should have rose with courage. You know. Don't let your heart fail. There's always an excuse. Look at this scripture in Ecclesiastes 11. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible. And uh, I'll just, I'm going to start in verse 1. Be generous. Invest in acts of charity. Charity yields high returns. Don't hoard your goods. Spread them around. Be a blessing to others. Like, if, if your life doesn't bless anyone but you, you should rethink it. Like, if I gave you three wishes right now, and you had a few minutes to think about it, and you could take three wishes... And wish for anything you wanted. I'll let you take those wishes and then let me come around and ask you, how many people did your three wishes help? Did your three wishes change the world? Did your three wishes help a whole bunch of people or was it just all selfishness? Right? If God gave you everything you were praying for and asking for, would it help anybody but you? 
What about anybody but you and your kids and your immediate family? Like, how, how big are you thinking? How big are you dreaming? How? He says, be a blessing to others. This could be your last night. You don't know. You may, this may be your last day to live. None of us know. Have you done everything you need to do? Said everything you need to say? Like, don't leave things undone. Be a blessing to somebody. And I'm not, that's not just money. That can be if you felt like you were supposed to say something to somebody or let somebody know you love them or if you were supposed to give somebody some money or some help or if you were supposed to, whatever it is, like, don't, you don't know. Do it now. Don't leave it on the table. When the clouds are full of water, it rains. Well, thank you for that. When the wind blows down a tree, it lies where it falls. Okay, it's kind of obvious. I heard about a 90-year-old uh, a man that was, he fought in World War II. And he went to, like, talk to some people about his life and his experiences and and they said, well, how did you know when the war was over? He said, when they quit shooting at me. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, obvious, isn't it? Here's the last verse. Don't sit there watching the wind. Do your own work. Don't stare at the clouds. Get on with your life. One translation words it like this. Farmers who wait for the perfect weather never plant. So if you're waiting on your circumstances to be perfect, to do what God's called you to do, or if you're waiting on, you know, to get enough money, or if you're waiting on, I mean, some of y'all been saving up for that ring for 14 years. Well, you need to just go ahead and ask her to marry you if that's the plan here. Right? Like, you... If you're waiting on perfect weather to plant, you're never going to plant. You're never going to get a harvest. You're never getting it going. I, I hear people say, yeah, well, when I, when I start making enough money where I get all my bills paid and have a little extra, I'm going to start tithing. It never happens. Like, it ne like oh, you know what? I'm going to come out here and help out at the church, Dusty. I'm gonna, I love to get involved with ministry when I get more time. You'll never get more time. Trust me, the older I get, the busier I get. Or either it seems that way because I'm tired or quicker and hurt all the time. Maybe that's it. Maybe you're not getting busier. You're just not as effective. <laughs> not as fast as you used to be. I don't know. Either way, you, you don't get more time. And then if you did just have a bunch of extra time, more, like I wonder, then it wouldn't be a sacrifice. Right? I just had some extra money, so I gave a little bit to the church. Well, then it's not even, a, I'm, that's nice, and it's good, and it's great, and the church can use it to reach out to more people and expand the kingdom. But for, your, for you, where you're coming from, God said, I'll bless you. Well, if it's not even a sacrifice, then it, like it's not obedience. And I'm just picking on certain areas to prove a point. But it works across the board. And if you're waiting on the perfect time to do whatever it is that God's called you to do, 
you're waiting on the perfect season, you'll never plant. And you'll never have a harvest coming. You'll never have crops coming in. Farmers who wait for perfect weather, they never plant. So what's he telling us here? Be generous. Don't just keep what you have and hoard it all up and try to be selfish and get everything. And for me, it might know we're supposed to bless other people. We're supposed to love humanity. We're supposed to reach out. We're supposed to be the picture of God to the world. And if God is love, then we should look like love. So if somebody can look at your life and they can't see love, then God becomes invisible. Because that's how they'll see God. It's through His body. Don't just keep what you have and try to hoard it up for yourself. If God gave you everything that you asked for, and you wouldn't need faith. I know something to think about. There will be no faith in heaven. You won't need faith. You'll just believe and trust. And like you'll know it all. It'll, and faith is for here now. Use it. There will never be a right time. To give, there's never a right time to sacrifice. You just got to do it. Don't wait on it to make sense. Okay, so we want a comfort zone, but like we've talked about before, comfort zones and callings don't go hand in hand. So I can work to make myself a comfortable life. But I'm probably not going to walk in my calling if I'm always comfortable. Right? I'm probably not doing everything God's called me to do if I'm always comfortable. In fact, not probably. I'm definitely not. If there's no stretch, if there's no push, if there's no growth, if there's no... I never reject emotions I just do what I feel all the time then I'm reckless and I'm dangerous and I'm not walking in the call that God has for my life I'm not the pastor the husband the father the, that I'm supposed to be don't wait for perfect conditions because you'll never do it So, I think about David, and as I'm going to wrap it up and give you the third one. But I was thinking about David when he went in there and Saul said, you're a boy. And, and what must David have been thinking? And how was he able to, with such courage, run up the hill and slay that giant? And be what God said he was. And not even listen to what Saul said. How? Think about what must have been going through David's head. You know, like, he's right. I can't beat him with a sword. He's right. His spear weighs almost as much as me. Like, I can't even get close enough to him. He could could kill me, but, but wait a minute. With my sling, he's such a big target, I can't miss. It's, It's your perspective. See, you start to see things 
through a different lens. You get a different view of things. The giant doesn't change. Most of the time, the situation doesn't change. The problem doesn't change. The, the, you change the way you see it. Why? Because you're starting to see things through God's eyes. Through the lens of faith, you start to see, you know, if I put on a pair of glasses that are red, well, everything looks red. You know, that works with negativity or positivity. You can find the bad in everything, and you can find good in everything. And it depends on what you've trained your brain to look for, to do. You start to see things different. And even when somebody like Saul tries to say, no, no, this is it, this is the way. No, you're saying, nope. I'm not going to listen. God wants us to change our vision. And, and we want Him to change our circumstances. God, please just change it. Please just defeat the giant. And God wants us to change our vision, to change the way we're, we're looking at it, to change where we're placing our trust. God says, no, I need you to see it different. Remember Elisha? And they were surrounded by an army, and Elisha's sitting there with his, with his servant. Uh, what was his name? Gehazi? And he's sitting there with the servant, and the servant Gehazi is freaking out, screaming and crying about this. And I find it interesting that Elisha did not pray, God, kill our enemies. God, destroy the army that's about to kill us. God, change our circumstances. God, get us out of this situation. No, Elisha's prayer was, hey, God, open his eyes. God, change his vision. God, change the way he is viewing this situation. He didn't even pray that the situation would change. And so many times we just pray that God would change the situation and we never allow him to change the way we're looking at the situation. And in the story, if you go read it, when God opened up his eyes, you know what he saw? He saw God's army of angels had the army that was surrounding them, the angel army was surrounding that army, and he saw that they were bigger and more powerful than the threat, than the attack, than what was going on. But you see, before his eyes were opened, his faith and trust was in what he could see. See, he wasn't trusting in the fact that the angel army's in God who was bigger than everything that was going on around him, had that army surrounded. We've got to change our vision. Change the way we're looking at it. Did you know you can see the same thing in a different way? Maybe you look at your circumstance. Maybe after this message, in some point, God spoke to you or one of these things hit you and you can take it home. And you look at the same circumstance or the same giant, but you see it in a different way. I 
October 20th, 1968, a 21-year-old engineering student named Dick Fosbury changed the high jump forever. At the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, Fosbury revealed what was known as the Fosbury Flop. Now, we all have seen the high jump before. But up until this point in 1968, they just ran as fast as they could and tried to jump over it. No one ever flipped over backwards and flew over the pole upside down. How everyone does now. I didn't even, I didn't realize that. But this guy with his engineering background figured out that he could go higher and further by jumping and flipping backwards and looking up towards the sky. And they made fun of him and they laughed at him and told him he was an idiot and that he had no athleticism. And he went to the Olympics planning on doing this and he was considered the complete underdog, that he would come in last place, that he would embarrass his country. People made fun of him. They even, you can go look up like pictures and some old videos and stuff they have of him. And they made so much fun of this guy, he didn't even have matching shoes. He had on two different shoes. And they made so much fun of him that he wasn't athletic. He wasn't as fast as the other guys. He can't jump as high as the other guys. And, and this dude showed up, and he won the gold that year. Was he the best? No. Was he the fastest? No. Was he the most athletic guy out there? Absolutely not. Did he have money? No. Was he even doing it right? According to everybody else, including trainers, no. College trainers said no. Olympic trainers, no. Wrong. Wrong way. Hmm. He was picked to lose by everyone. They even made fun of him. But what'd he do? He looked at it in a different way. And he got gold. Okay, third one. Last one. And we're done. You got to choose God's word over man's opinion. The word. What God speaks to you in your heart and that, that, that word from God. You choose that over the opinion of men, and that's hard. Like, it's a good thing to say, and it feels right. And yeah, I choose God's word over man's opinion, but you know what? We care what people think. We all do. And usually the ones that act like they don't care at all, those are usually the ones that care the most. It's insecurity that you put on and act like you don't care, but usually that person's the one that even they care more than than anyone. That's just insecurity. We, we all care what people think. Saul said, you're a boy. In Acts 13, 22, 
It says that God said, I have found David a man after my own heart. Saul said he was a boy, but God said he was a man. Saul said he wasn't ready. God said he was ready. I found David a man after my own heart. Um, if you go back and, and read the story, back up a chapter from where we just started reading in chapter 16. Um, Saul had a demonic spirit. And his assistant said, there's a man named David. And his description of David to Saul was... He is a man of war and a musician. Right, this guy, he's a man of war. This is backing up a chapter from where we were. Saul was needing somebody. And this guy said, hey, there's this dude, David. He's a man of war and a musician. Like He's a fighter and a lover. This dude's talented. He could help you. He could get rid of these demons. Bring him in here to play a little bit of worship. So some people could see it. And the same is true in your life. Some people can see it. And when you step and walk with that courage, there will be those that will see it, but you need to know that some people won't ever see it. Because if you get caught up needing the approval of Saul... You'll never be what God's called you to be. Like you'll get stopped needing that, the authority. It, it became his father-in-law who then became so jealous he was throwing spears at him and trying to kill him himself and he tried to have him assassinated. Like, why? Because he was jealous. Because Saul was in, insecure because Saul walked in disobedience to what God had called him to do and, and Saul was jealous of the greatness that God had called David to. And Saul said, you're just a boy. Some people could see it, but not Saul. So as I close the message today, I just want to say to somebody, don't spend your life looking for the approval of people that are jealous of you. Don't spend your life looking for the approval of people that don't have the courage to do what God's called them to do so they want to hurt you or hold you back. They're jealous of the way that you sacrifice and the generosity that flows from your life and, and the call that you're walking in and the dream that's on you and the family that you have. And the, then if you spend your whole life looking for approval from them, you may never find it. It's hard to impress people that are intimidated. You know, insecure people, they're going to call you a boy. They'll call you a little boy, and it, and it comes from the root of them not being okay with who they are. All right, and then just think about it. If I'm secure, 
we're, if we're out there playing ball and I feel like I'm good and I feel like I'm, I'm playing good and I'm having a great game, it's easy to dish out compliments to other people, even if I don't think they're up to the level I'm at now. Like, if you're secure in who you are, then it's nothing for you to compliment or give other people courage or strengthen other people's hearts so that they can rise to the level that you're on. That's healthy. That's being secure. But if you're insecure, you won't dare raise someone else up on a pedestal because then they might be bigger than you or they might be better than you or they might be on all different levels. If I'm secure in the way that I'm fathering my boys, then it's nothing for me to compliment another father, Nathan or RJ or somebody on the way they're fathering their kids. But if I'm real insecure and I think I'm doing a, <laughs> I'm doing a bad job, then I sure don't, I'm not going to be lifting somebody else up and make me look worse. See? Last thought. Goliath, um, it's a Hebrew. The um, Hebrew name, the Hebrew meaning of the name Goliath is to uncover. It is to reveal, to disclose, to reveal oneself, to uncover the truth. The giant that is in front of you, it is there to reveal your greatness, to reveal God's power in and through you. But it's going to take a little bit of faith. It will take these three steps. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thanks for speaking to our hearts and our mind. Thank you for growing us up. God, thank you for the sacrifice that you made by sending your son to die on the cross for us so that, so that we could be in relationship with you. you. You wanted a family. You wanted relationships so bad that you sowed the seed of your own son so that we be all your sons and daughters God thank you for that God give us courage help us to choose faith over facts to choose courage over worry we want to look like you to choose your word over what men think we're going to shut the door and pour. We're going to pour out the oil that you've placed on the inside of us into all different kinds of vessels. And we'll be the people that you've called us to be. Help us to step with obedience. Help us to get a vision. Change our perspective. We'll give you permission so that we can see things differently. We love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.